special welcome to baby Josephine. You know when, yeah, we can clap again, why not? The father's here, he, he will take the congratulations. And you know when jo Josiah came to us last year, I can remember him saying that he was going to try and grow the congregation. But I didn't think he was going to do it so literally. One and a half million people. One and a half million people. That was the estimate of the crowd that greeted the Raptors last Monday when the NBA champion Raptors had their victory parade through the streets of Toronto. The fans endured four and a half hours of waiting without access to chairs or restrooms just for the opportunity to see the victors live. But not all of them were the real, true fans. Only some endured the 25 years of disappointment, cheering on their team in the lean years. Only some were willing to camp out at Jurassic Park night after night in rain and cold just to see the game on the big screen. These were the real fanatics. The word fan comes from the word fanatic. <clears throat> These were the devotees, the zealots, who could best be described as fanatics, with religious zeal for their team. Our passage today describes a religion that God our Father accepts. Not the veneration of a team of successful basketball players, but the zeal of those who love their God and are prepared to work hard to show it. Before we explore this subject, let's review a bit to connect with what we have already learned. In our study of James, we have been learning the right attitude for dealing with the trials and temptations of life. We can consider it pure joy, even though these trials may be painful, because our Father in heaven is orchestrating them for our good. He's the great creator not only who creates and controls the physical world around us, but he has created spiritual life in us. And then he desires to control us by his spirit. There are a few examples from nature around us of, his, of this control that God has over us. In chapter 1 and verse 6, he talks about the wind and the waves. Man is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. The waves do not control the wind. The wind controls the waves. And God controls the wind. And then in verse 10 and 11, he talks about man is like a plant. The plants have no control over the sun. The sun has great control over the plant. And God controls the sun. In chapter 1, verse 17, it talks about how we live under the shadows of the great lights above us, the heavenly lights. We have no control over those heavenly lights. The heavenly lights, the sun and the moon, have great control over us as we live under their shifting shadows, and they determine the seasons of our life. They determine the day-night cycle. They determine the monthly cycle. We count the years by the passage and the moving of the sun and the moon and the stars. 
And it is God who controls the heavenly lights. We don't have much control. And so what our, what our job is, is to surrender to God's will, to God's control, and trust his goodness in the trials. Remembering that he has given us a life beyond this physical life, a life from heaven. I was particularly reminded of this yesterday when we picked up our family from, from Phoenix and we're driving them back from Buffalo along the QEW. The highway was busy, but we were running at good speed. And uh, suddenly, the car in front of me appeared to be smashed. And uh, parts were flying off of the car. I didn't know what happened at the time, but I suspect what happened is that, is that a deer or a small animal had jumped over the median and immediately smashed into the car. He managed to control his vehicle and pull over to the side, and we managed to put on the brakes well enough to avoid hitting that vehicle. You know, another couple of seconds and we would have been that vehicle who was, who was in that bad accident. And I think to myself, the control of God. Nobody can control that stuff, except God. And what can we do about it? We just got to trust. We just got to trust. And this is what Josiah has been talking to us about over the past couple of weeks. Trusting a good God. Trusting the, 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 that he's already blessed us with eternal life and he's going to do a good job at bringing us home to glory. We've got to trust his sovereign plan for our lives. We choose to live humbly and trustingly under the good and sovereign will of God. But starting from verse 19 of, John chapter, uh, of James chapter 1, he changes the emphasis. We are now being called to live under the word of God. Not just under the will of God, but under the word of God. <clears throat> we have seen that, that spiritual life as one of those good gifts from above. and Another gift from above is his word, the word of truth, the Bible. Oh, how we need this book. In fact, without this book, we would not have known about God's great plan to save us. We would not have been able to know about Jesus, our Savior, and his work on the cross that we've been singing about. It would have faded from the minds of men and been lost or at least twisted into some ancient fantasy. God gave us the book so that every generation can read and know and be saved. It says in 1 Peter 1 and 23, For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed, by the living and enduring word of God. Romans 10, 17, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Now God also has given us the book so that we may be able to know how to live out a life that pleases God. So how do we now relate to this book, the Bible? We're going to find out, as James tells us, three things to do in regard to the book. But before we do that, let's read our passage for the day. Would you please stand as we read the, the Word of God? Uh, James chapter 1, verse 19 to 27. <clears throat> My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. 
Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their, in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You may be seated. God bless the word of God. Three things to do in regard to the book. And the first one says, be a listener. Be a listener. He says it three times in the first three verses of our passage at hand, from verse 19 to 21. First, he says, take note of this. I remember when my professor at university would say such a thing. He says, now write this down. You knew that it was important. All the other stuff he might not have said, write it down. But he says, now you, you write this down. In other words, guys, it's going to be on the exam. Write it down. Take note of this. Then he says, be quick to listen. Be quick. What does that mean? In other words, it, it says, be good at listening. Be good at listening. And finally, he says in verse 21, humbly accept the word planted in you, which is able to save your soul. Never before in history has the Word of God been so readily available to us. Every Sunday in all the churches of the land, there are sermons, hopefully in, in churches that know and love the Lord Jesus, based upon the Word of God. And then there's the media, which in every form is able to deliver, us, uh, deliver to us the Word of God. I've been enjoying as I drive to work in the mornings, Back to the Bible broadcast by John Newfeld. He's been feeding my soul. If you want to catch him, he's at about 9 o'clock on 12.50 a.m. And amongst other people who preach the word on these wonderful stations, John Newfeld has been feeding my soul. So he's a guy that I listen to. I listen to the word. And then there's reading the Bible ourselves. I don't know about you, but I've got a number of, of Bibles on my bookshelf and different translations, and, I, and I, can, I can pull them off the bookshelf and read them and compare them. And uh, all of these helpful books that have been written about the Bible. Never before in history have we had such access into the Word of God. So it's available to us. But why listen to the word of God? Because this is the way that we become spiritually wise. James is the wisdom book of the Bible. And he's saying, if you guys want to be wise, read the book. Listen to the word of God. 
And in chapter 1 and verse 5, he says the first principle of listening to the Word of God, before you listen, you ask for help to listen. If you need wisdom, ask for help. If anyone lack wisdom, let him ask of God. People don't understand the Bible, they can ask for help. Ask the Lord to help you. But secondly, get down and actually listen to the Word of God. Expose your mind to the wonderful words of life. It says in Psalm 119, the unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. It also says your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It gives guidance to those who need guidance in life. It says also in that same uh, chapter of Psalms, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. In other words, the word of God gives moral instruction. Now finally, and most importantly, it says in Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10, it gives knowledge of the Holy One. Where are you going to find the knowledge of God? You're going to find it recorded in a book. God's given us the book so that we can know Him. The knowledge of God. Why then are we so slow to listen? Well, we live in a distracted world. I don't know about you, but I was very distracted by watching the Raptors the last few weeks. It was hard to me to get to, get to sleep after watching a game. I was so into the game. But then I had to leave the room. I said, I can't watch it. My heart's beating too fast. And I would inquire, uh, what's the score? And uh, go back and follow it again. But it was difficult for me, see. And, and then to try to think of something else. See, I'm glad the Raptors won before I had to preach this sermon. We get distracted. So we have to choose to listen. And we need to ask God to help us to listen. But there are some other reasons in the text for not listening. Why we don't listen. It says be quick to listen in verse 19, slow to speak and slow to anger. If you take those three which are tied to one another and you consider the opposites, it reads like this. Slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to get angry. And that's the truth. We're slow to listen because we're quick to speak. So the first reason I want to tell you about is this, but we're too busy talking. We're too busy talking. You can't really have both facilities, both faculties engaged at the same time. You can't be listening and talking at the same time. Most of my patients are wonderful people. They all are wonderful people. They just have some quirks, right? And one particular lady, it's just, she just can't stop talking. And I think, I've got to tell her a few things. I've, I've really got to share a few things. And so what I do is watch her until she runs out of breath. <laughs> and then I jump in. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Too busy talking. And even when we're praying, you see, we can get stuck. Say, look, God's got to hear my prayers. I've got this and that to pray about, and God's got to hear all of these things. And we don't give time for God to speak to us. We don't give time to the Word. Perhaps we need to talk less about what we want from God and listen more to what He wants from us. And then it says, 
slow to anger. So the opposite is that of that is quick to anger, too angry. And, and we get frustrated so easily. Perhaps we're upset about how our life has turned out. I'm, how can I listen to God? I'm upset about my, the way my life has turned out. And, and then you really got to understand this. The first principle is trust the sovereign will of God. Trust that he's got a good plan for your life, believer. Trust that he's got a good plan for your life. And cease from anger. Forsake wrath. It leads only to evil doing. We struggle with, with uh, uh, our frustration because the word doesn't come immediately or, or make sense to us. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. We have to struggle with some of these concepts. I'm still struggling with the concepts. I've been a Christian for over 60 years, and I'm still struggling to understand the word of God. It's a struggle because, you see, it's a book that comes from the infinite mind of God, and we're just little tiny computer human brains. So we've got to struggle. And some of us get frustrated and we close the book and we say, I, I quit. Or we only get half the message. And angry people are not good listeners. So maybe what you need to pray is this. Oh Lord, calm me down so I can listen. Oh Lord, calm me down. Let's pray it together. Oh Lord, calm me down so I can listen. And then there's unconfessed sin in our lives. It says, it says, therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. When we're unwilling to confess our sin, we end up running away from God, just like Adam and Eve did in the garden, the first human sinners. After they sinned, they hid from God. They didn't want to hear God's voice and Someone has well said this, the book, this book will keep you from sin, but sin will keep you from the book. Don't want to hear from God, because I got my sins. So what's the thing to do? Leave your sins, get rid of them. How do you do that? You confess your sins to the Lord, and you ask him to forgive you and cleanse you. First treatment for sin, go and ask the Lord to forgive and cleanse you. Then listen to the word of God. Then the last one it mentions is, it says, humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Humbly accept the word. I've got to get under the word. I've got to let it be over me, and there's a trickle-down effect from the word of God to my mind. If I'm sitting in judgment of the word, and I'm up here pointing down at it and say, this is not good enough for me, or I know better than this, we'll never be able to receive it because, you see, the word has a trickle-down effect. You gotta have, you gotta let the word be over you, not under you. So there's a lack of humility. God says he resists the proud, he gives grace to the humble, he teaches the humble his word. And notice the end of this verse 21, it says, humbly accept the word planted in you, which is able to save your soul. Saving your soul. What does that mean? Now, once again, James is talking to believers. And he's saying, believers, you need to save your soul. You say, well, what does that mean? I thought my soul was already saved. I'm a Christian. Oh, yes, you see, but there's three tenses of salvation. And you have to understand this, okay? The first tense is this. We get saved when we ask Jesus to come into our life, and what he does is bring life to our spirit, and I would call that being spirit-saved. 
We once were dead in, in sins. We're, our spirits were dead. And now the light's on and we're alive and we have life in our spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. So to be born again is to have your spirit turned on. Your spirit saved. Well, then what does it mean to be saved in soul? Well, the soul is the content of your life. The, the, the soul is measured over time and over talents and over abilities and all of the development of your life throughout, throughout the, the years of your life. That's what the, the content of the soul is. And so once a person is saved, now they've got to get busy, you see, because their soul needs to be saved. Your life needs to be saved. All the content of it. All the years of it. And so this is what the Word of God does. It helps you to save your life. And what happens if you don't let the Word of God save your, save your life? Your life is lost. I'm not saying you're lost. You're going to get to heaven if you've got a spirit that's, that's alive in Christ. But your soul, your soul, your life, all of the time of your life, all of the abilities, all of the opportunities of your life, all the potential of your life could be disastrously lost if you don't pay attention to the Word. And you get to heaven and you've got nothing to show for it. Nothing to give to Jesus because you misspent your life. You did not feed your soul. You did not grow up in your soul. So that's what he's saying. God is saying, I want to save your soul. Now lastly, what he does is save our bodies. Because when we die, or when the Lord comes back again, our bodies get redeemed. Our bodies become new bodies, resurrection bodies. And so the future tense of our salvation is the salvation of our body. We've been saved in our spirits, we're being saved in our souls, and we're going to be saved in our bodies. Three tenses of salvation. Look at that center one, because that's the one with whom, that's the one that we have to really work at and grapple with today. Am I being saved in my soul? And there's only one way to do it. Give yourself to the Word of God. Listen to it. Not only listen to it, not only listen to it, you've got to obey it. It says in, in the next verse, be a doer of the word. Uh, chapter 1, verse 22. I closed my Bible. That's a disaster. Okay, here it is. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So we listen first, and then after listening, we put it into practice. Now, when we listen, we do not do what it says. Three things can be said about us, and they're found in the text. If we don't put it into practice, God says this, you are self-deceived. If you think just that the understanding of the Word of God in your mind is somehow going to bring about this salvation of the soul, you are wrong. The salvation of the soul is accomplished when I not only hear the Word, but I put it into practice. It's not so crucial how much you know of God's Word, although it's a wonderful thing to know God's Word. It's more crucial of, that how much you, of God's Word you're obeying. 
And for some of us, reading the Word of God is little more than an intellectual exercise. We read it, we may even try hard to understand it, but if we don't obey it, it becomes useless information for the saving of a soul. It is not transformative power. The mind is filled with spiritual truth, but there's no action. And remember this, what I put into action is what I truly believe. If I say I believe in the Lord, and I don't do what Mike was telling me to do this morning, set aside some money for the, for the Lord's work, I don't really believe in the Lord because I'm not putting that truth into action. In that part of my life, I am not believing. If we really believe that the Lord is the Lord and he deserves, he deserves everything, and my whole life I lay down, that's what the song, song says. If we don't give to the Lord, in that part of our life we're saying, I don't believe in the Lord because I'm not doing what he tells me to do. It says in 23 to 25 that we don't do what God wants because we forget to do what God wants. It says in verse 23, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like but the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Well, the mirror tells the truth, doesn't it? But sometimes we don't like to see the truth. I get up in the morning and I look intently at uh, the face that's being reflected and I say to myself, yes, Jim, you're getting older. But then I like to fancy myself as a young man, so I, got, I go off and I do things that perhaps uh, an older man like me shouldn't do, and I end up paying for it because I thought I was younger. I forgot. I forgot. One of the things that happened to me when we were down in Florida is we went to, on one of these wild rides. And it, it says, you know, if you're older, you should really take a second thought about going on this ride. I said, ah, I'm young, right? Paid for it, dearly, paid for it. I came off with vertigo, and, and it took me the rest of the day to recover. We forget, we forget who we are. We forget that we need God. We forget that we are sinners who are being saved in our souls, and we need to pay attention to that. It's so wonderful when I see people who are indeed remembering the Word of God and they are growing because they are remembering what they've seen in the mirror. And some people, if they're going to remember, what they do is put sticky notes. Some of my patients put sticky notes on the mirror in the bathroom to remind them what, of something that they're working on spiritually in their life. It's a good thing to do. Other people, iPhones, they, they, they put a little iPhone, remember. I'm going to pray. And, and, and the iPhone is going to tell me that, that I've got to pray for somebody. Put that up on a to-do list on the iPhone. These are things to help us remember. We must remember. We're so easily forgetting. Well, there was one man once who, uh, as a Christian, had escaped from the sin of, of, of uh, losing his money at gambling. He was, a, he was an addicted gambler. Then one day he got up and he said, ah, there's a special on at the casino right now, and it wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't be hurtful just to go, to go to the casino. You see, he was forgetting. He was forgetting. Went to the casino and he lost his money that day. 
And he said, what happened, Jim? What happened? Well, he said, I didn't intend to sin. I didn't intend to, to, to lose my money again in gambling. Yeah, but did you intend not to? Did you make plans to put yourself in temptation's way, or did you intend not to put yourself in temptation's way? We have to intend not to. We have to remember where our weaknesses and sins lie, and we have to run from them and make preparations to avoid them. Lastly, it says in verse 25, the man looks intently at the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Listen, if you don't remember, you won't be blessed. Simple as that. You forget the word of God, you won't be blessed. Your soul will be shriveled. Your soul, the value of it is being lost every day that you neglect to remember the word of God. And lastly, do it religiously. Religiously. In verse 26, he says, If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Religious. Now, what does religious mean? This is the dictionary. The uh, dictionary that I have at home tells me this. The dictionary meaning. Number one, belief in, worship of, or obedience to a supernatural power. Check. I'm religious. Formal or institutionalized expression of such belief. Yep, I go to church. I do prayers. I read my Bible. I give to, to God. These are expressions of formal and, and consistent expressions of our belief. Check. Something of overwhelming importance to a person. And then it said, i.e., his, his religion is baseball. Something of overwhelming importance to a person, and that person is, has a religion. What turns your crank? What gets you up in the morning? What gives you that fast heartbeat? Where, where is your zeal placed? Am I devoted to what I believe? And that devotion becomes the focus of my life. So in explaining the Christian faith to an inquirer, we often say that Christianity is not a religion, but a relationship. And by that we mean that our faith is a personal walk with God through Jesus, not just a system, a formal system of, of expressing beliefs. But in this saying, in saying this, we tend to think that somehow to be religious is a negative thing and not a Christian thing. And James would argue with you about that because three times he says, religious, religious, religious. These verses clear up the misconception. The Christian faith is both a relationship and a religion. A religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless. It is a religion in that we believe in a supernatural power. We have formal, expression, former, formal expressions of that belief, but... There is also that third sense of religion as something of overwhelming importance to us. We use this idea when we say he or she does something religiously. That is what I think James is expressing here. 
James gives us three areas of life that undergo, undergo great transformation when we take our faith seriously and practice it religiously. First of all, he says this, verse 26, and if anyone considers himself religion, religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. In order to get control of your tongue, dear believer in Jesus Christ, you need to be religious. What do you mean by that? You need to be devoted in your life to a pure tongue for Jesus' sake. That's being religious about it. Doing it with all your heart. Doing it with all your heart. Controlling your tongue because you want to be pure for Jesus. That's part of pure religion. It's something you must work at it. An uncontrolled tongue means a rebellious and an unsubmitted heart. It's something that God wants to change in us. It's part of the saving of our soul. God changes the way we speak because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Secondly, he changes our care for others. It says in verse 27, if religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Look after orphans and widows in their distress. Now, I know some have dedicated their lives to looking after orphans and widows, and I would say to that, God bless them. We are part of uh, supporting Project Hope, which has its annual meeting here every year, and it's something that my son James was involved in a few years back. We still uh, take part in, in, in that ministry, and we contribute to that ministry. Project Hope helps orphans and widows in Africa. It is godly. It is pure religion. It's doing what God wants us to do. But what I think he's saying here is this. What he's saying is we're called to love, to committed love, and the greatest display of that love is our commitment to care for the least of God's children. Those who just can't pay us back because, you see, widows don't have the wherewithal to pay back and orphans don't have the wherewithal to pay back. And so we help everybody, but especially those who are the most needy. And that's what he's talking about. That's pure religion. And then secondly, he, he talks about holiness of life, and he says, or this is lastly, thirdly, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. What does that mean? Well, there's a kind of care we need to keep ourselves clean for Jesus. And this world is a dirty place. The Bible says polluted world, polluted world, and it's getting worse. And this often involves sacrifice to keep ourselves clean from the world. It means we deny ourselves the old habits that we used to enjoy, but we're taking us into sinful addictions. It means that we're more careful about our entertainment choices even morally neutral ones, because they're taking up too much time and keeping us from prioritizing the Lord. We deny ourselves close involvement with the circle of friends we once had because we find they are taking us down spiritually. We're not building them up. They're taking us down. Run from that, dear brother, dear sister. Run from it. It means we change the way we operate financially so that we can live within our means and have sufficient to give to God. The world frivolously spends on themselves. 
We, don't, we dedicate our money to spend for Jesus, to live for Jesus. It may mean our children don't join the sports team who practice on Sunday morning so that they can attend church and Sunday school. We're taking care of our kids that they can escape the pollutions of the world. We're telling them something when we put sports before church. It may mean a different career path to give us more opportunity to live out our faith. I recently met a man who was a high school principal who gave up a secure and successful teaching career to go full-time as a Bible teacher. Why do we make these choices? Because we're listening to God, we're doing what God wants, and we're doing it religiously. When uh, Nick Nurse, the coach of the NBA champion Toronto Raptors, doesn't that have a nice ring to it? The NBA champion Toronto Raptors. Not the perpetual loser Toronto Raptors, the NBA champion. Oh, that's enough of that. The coach of the NBA Toronto Raptors was interviewed before the final game. And someone asked him if he expected to win. And you, you have to see this guy if you haven't. He looks like low-level management. He looks like a guy you kind of meet at, if you were doing some business at, at the carpet store. or, or just, just, He, doesn't, he doesn't, doesn't look like a successful guy. He just he looks very commonplace. Boy, but does he have a heart. His answer was this, if he, if he was asked uh, about whether he expected to win. <clears throat> we have a great team, but they have a great team also. So the difference will be if we're committed to outwork them. We must work hard. And if we work hard, then we have a chance. I loved it when he said, work hard. He really emphasized it. We're called to the same religious devotion as if we're fighting for the championship. It's not a sports championship. It's much more than that. It's the awesome goal of pleasing God our Father, showing our love for our Savior Jesus, doing our best for the salvation of our souls. It says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, work out your own salvation, for it is God who is at work in you. Once again, the three steps. Can we say them together? Number one, listen. Say it. Listen. Do what it says. Do what it says. And then lastly, listen and do what it says. You got it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this encouragement from the book of James. A man who devoted himself and indeed was the, the leader in the early church in Jerusalem because he was a man who listened to the word, a man who did the word, and a man who did it religiously. And So he knows whereof he speaks. We thank you for his example. We thank you, Father, that uh, Jesus calls us to listen to his word. And he gives us the power to do it. And he certainly gives us the perseverance and the tenacity and the devotion to do it religiously. So, Lord, help us to be those kind of people who put the word of God at the center of our lives and give our hearts devotion to learn your ways and to implement them in our, our lives that we might bring glory to you and that our souls might be saved for his namesake. Amen.